In your Bibles of the book of John, chapter number 12, please. And I've enjoyed the series in the book of John entitled or themed is why Christianity is special. There's living in the multicultural situation that we're living in today and the scores of beliefs and the scores of doctrine that has been propagated. Uh, you know, we just are bombarded with every kind of belief that your way, well, I've got my way, or if you don't like my way, I'll take the highway and all this kind of stuff. Folks, I, I think it's time we come to the realization that there is only one way. And I, I've been trying to explain to you why Christianity is special. Now, next week, our whole service will revolve around why Christianity is special. Because our God is not still dead. Everybody else's God is still in the graveyard. Buddha is still in the hole. Confucius is still confused. But he's dead anyhow. Muhammad is dead. Go through the gamut of all the religions, all the beliefs, and their God is dead. But ours is alive. That's what Easter's all about. And Christianity's special today because I have a Savior that's alive. I have a God that can hear. Have a God that can feel my hurt, my sorrow. I have a high priest that was tempted in all fashion, such as us, and yet without sin. And he's seated at the right hand of God the Father today, making intercession for me. He's my attorney. He's my lawyer. He's my mediator in heaven. And the devil accuses, and Jesus says, wait a minute. You can't accuse that guy. His sins has been forgiven. They're gone. He don't have to answer for them anymore. They're underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, that's special. Isn't that special? As sorry as some of you are and you're saved. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Which of you deserve heaven, I may ask? None of us deserve heaven. Our deserve is hell because of our sin. But Jesus loved us so much that he came and paid for our sin. And in heaven, on my account, stamped, paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Man, isn't that special? Take your Bible now, John chapter number 12. If you've been with us, you've witnessed the miracles of our Lord throughout John 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. You've witnessed him going to the wedding there and turning water into wine. Some of you said, I wish you'd do it over at my house. It saved me a lot of money. You've seen him go by the wayside and heal the blind man who had never seen before. You've seen him at the pool of Siloam there, heal that lame man that had never been walked before in his life. And he took up his bed and walked off with it. You've seen him go and take his 
miracles and there just turned a few fish and loaves into enough to feed 5,000 folks. Uh, you've seen him as he does all of this. And then in chapter 11, he does the ultimate. He raises a dead man from the grave. Now that's got to be the biggie, I suppose, of all the miracles in the Word of God. I wonder what would happen if somebody in America actually raised uh, the dead. Do you think it would make the six o'clock news? Do you think it would spread abroad? Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Wow. I don't think you could top that. And his fame now has spread far and near. Notice if you would please, I introduce verse 55 of chapter 11. The Bible says, and the Jews Passover was nigh at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, what think ye that he will come to the feast? And now these folks that have heard and witnessed that Jesus raised the dead are at the temple and the Passover is at hand. If you know anything about that, that's the epitome of feast for the Jews, significant of them delivered out of Egypt. And they're standing in the temple and they're not talking about the deliverance of Egypt. They're not talking about the Jews' great holiday. They're talking about that renegade fellow by the name of Jesus. Notice as we go on. Then sought they for Jesus and spake among themselves. You think he'll come up? Now both the chief priest and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if, he, if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him because they want to destroy him. They want to kill him. They want to eradicate him. Verse number one. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, six days before he's to die, Six days before he fulfills the literal meaning of the Passover, when that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, dies and delivers all mankind who believes from their sins. Six days before the Passover. And he's there in Bethany. Where Lazarus, which had been raised from the dead, whom he raised from the dead, there he made a supper. Whoever called it dinner anyhow. Now let me educate you. There is breakfast, there's dinner, and there's supper. I don't know whoever come up with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Some liberal probably. Some pagan. 
who wants to deny the scripture, if you please. But it's breakfast, lunch, and supper. Got that? Don't ever forget that. So they made him a supper. And Martha served. Verse 9, much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they come not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. Verse 12. And on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, set thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record for this cause, the people also met him, for they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And the same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, Sir, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. Again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Jesus answered and said, uh, answer them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Six days before Calvary. Six days before our Lord is to go to the cross. And there, hang for six long hours, be treated cruelly, brutally, atrociously by ungodly men. Psalms describes it as he was disfigured more than any man in the history of mankind. Isaiah describes it as being bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we're healed. Six days before he's to accomplish the very reason he came to earth. And that was to die that you and I might live. That's why this week is called Passion Week. The passion that our Lord experiences during this week is far beyond human words to describe. We catch it now as he enters into Jerusalem. For the first time in 33 and a half years, he himself 
proclaims himself to be king. Prophecy is being fulfilled. It reminds me of that little boy who was sick on Palm Sunday. And that's what today is, Palm Sunday. He was sick on Palm Sunday. And he stayed home from Sunday school and the church. His mother got home and he began to question her. And he said, well, what was the sermon all about? And the mother described the little boy and said, well, the preacher preached about when Jesus came to town. And the little boy said, doggone it, I knew it. The one day that I don't go to church, Jesus shows up. That's what this day's all about. Jesus showing up. Prophecy is being fulfilled. The resurrection of Lazarus has caused a profound impact on the Jews, both religiously and politically. As you know, the Jews at this time is in bondage to the Roman Empire. The heavy hand of Rome is upon the Jewish nation. And for years they've been praying that they would be a deliverer. They understand the Word of God, that the Word of God has promised them that God would send a Messiah, a king, a deliverer, if you please. Politically, The Jews want to be delivered from the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. They've been praying and waiting and longing for the day that somebody would show up, a deliverer would show up, and that he would deliver them from Rome. Well, word is out. A miracle worker is among them. He can turn water into wine. Why, he's even healed the blind with just his spittle and a little mud and placed on his eye. The blind has all of a sudden begun to see and light has invaded the man's very being. Why, this miracle worker has turned just two fish and loaves of bread into sufficiency to feed 5,000 Dear God, that's the kind of king we need. Why, this one, Jesus of Nazareth, can walk on the water. This Jesus of Nazareth has stilled the storm and said, Peace be still, and the waves begin to run from him across the ocean to hide themselves on the far shore. Why, this fellow can actually... Walk on top of the water. Well, we heard the other day, just over in Bethany, just a few miles from here, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Surely this must be the political king, the Messiah, that's going to deliver us from Rome. Prophecy's been fulfilled. Zechariah 9 and 9 says, Behold, daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, and having salvation lowly, and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal 
of an ass. Jesus knew that scripture. And by him entering Jerusalem, riding on this white donkey, is proclaiming himself to be king. Behold, Psalm says, Behold, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What did they say? Notice verse 15. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh, setting on a ass of a colt. Verse 13. They took branches and palm trees. Palm Branches in the Jews' time was significant of national patriotism. And they waved these palm leaves as saying verbally and audibly that we are a Jew and proud of it. Kind of like the American flag. When we wave the flag, we are saying we are patriots and we, we believe in this great country. Is that not so? And behold, they took the palm leaves and they waved them and put their coats so that the, the animal may ride on their coats. And they, they said, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, quoting Psalms 118, and said, blessed is he that comes riding on a coat, quoting Zechariah 9 and 9, prophecies been fulfilled. Surely, would you believe and would you agree that this miracle worker would make a great king? Would you agree that this one would make a great king? Both politically and religiously. But you see, the Jew just did not, they just did not understand. That Jesus came not to set up an earthly kingdom, but he came to set up a heavenly kingdom. He did not come with sword and gun. He came lowly and meek. He did not come as a conquering king. He came as a suffering savior. And they missed it completely. They misunderstood it. Altogether. It's kind of like I was reading recently. Did you know that they have set up a husband shopping center in Dallas? A place where seeking wives can find a husband. A husband shopping center. Yeah. It's made up of a five-story building. Five floors. That you who are looking for a husband can go there and find the husband of your choice. Mind you, the perfect one has already taken. <laughs> it's terrible how jealous folks speak up in service. 
So a couple of well-meaning husband seekers thought they'd go check it out. And they went to find out that on the first floor there was a sign that was saying, these men on this floor have jobs and love kids. The women said, well, that's better than not having jobs and not loving kids. But they decided that they would not decide, settle for just men who love kids and had jobs. So they decided, let's go up to the second floor. A sign on the door on the second floor said, these men have high-paying jobs and love kids and are extremely good-looking. I failed on one of those. Extremely wealthy. And they said, hmm, as women can when they're shopping, I wonder what's farther up. And so they went to the third floor. And a sign read, these men have high paying jobs, are extremely good looking, love kids, and help with the housework. (laughs) Now the only one of those I failed is extremely wealthy. These two ladies looked at one another and said, wow! Who would ever thunk it? Wonder what's on the next floor. So they went to the fourth floor. The sign said, these men have high paying jobs. They love kids, are extremely good looking, help with the housework and have a strong romantic streak. Well, I failed two of them. These women are just awestruck. And they said, we do not want to settle for anything less than what's on the fifth floor. They went to the fifth floor. There was a sign on the door that said, this floor is empty and exists only to prove that women are impossible to please. I think Jesus could say that about all mankind. I believe our Lord, as he rode into town on this white colt, could have said, I believe that the whole world is impossible to please. And yet, notice first of all, his triumphant entry. The Bible says in verse 12, And on the next day, much people that were come to the feast 
When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Hebrew word for save us! Save us! From his terrible Rome. Hosanna! Save us! And save us now from the bondage politically that we're under. Hosanna! Save us now! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And when Jesus had found a young ass set thereon as it is written... Bless you and I for just a minute. Camp right there. and I'm looking at the clock. One is so dark I can't see it. The other one is so small I can't see it. So you need to pray that I'd hurry. The triumphant entry of our Lord. I want, to, I want you to maybe break it down. And I, I've, I've given you some points I've given you the point, number one, consider the crowd. Number two, consider the cry. Number three, notice the cause. And I believe that we could spend a little time there, if you would please, and if we don't get through... It's just like baloney anyhow. I'll take off next week. But I want you to first of all. Notice the crowd. The cry and the cause. And I added something last night. As I said in my study there at home. And in my office all alone. And God said. Seemingly. He didn't stand there in front of my desk. Because I was looking at my computer. And over my computer, I was watching the Mavericks. (laughs) But God seemed to speak to my heart and said, you forgot the colt. So I didn't put that in there. But the colt is very, very significant. Take your Bible, if you would, please. Mark, if you would, Mark chapter 11. Sometime, if you'd like, you could find this. In all four of the Gospels. Mark chapter 11. And for just a little while I'd like to not only consider in the triumphant entry. I'd like for us to notice the crowd. And I don't know if you know it or not. But in my research I have found out or I've come to the conclusion there could have been. Now listen. As many as 100,000 up to 2 million people following our Lord at this time. Wow, what a crowd. Matthew said, a tremendous multitude followed him. We could talk about the crowd, we could talk about the cry, we could talk about the cause, but I want just a minute to look at the cult. Is that all right? Is it significant That our King of Kings and Lord of Lords chose a white, foal, colt of a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. Would that be significant? Would the seed 
the animal be significant to a hundred thousand to two million folk as they witnessed our Lord ride into Jerusalem six days before he to get on the cross. And throngs of people, if you please, taking their very garments off and laying them so that the animal may step on. And palm leaves uh, waving in the air. And a hundred thousand folk, if you please, up to two million waving palm leaves, crying with a loud voice, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Wow. That would get NBC, ABC, BULL, Baloney, and all the other stations. Prime time stuff. Two million folks addressing this Galilean as king. Mark 11. Consider with me, if you would, please, and notice... First of all, the colt. And uh, when they came nigh to Jerusalem under Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent forth two of his disciples. Said to them, go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as you enter into it, you shall find a colt tied whereupon never man set. Loose him and bring him here. How did our Lord know that coat was there? How did Jesus know that there would be a colt tied at a certain house, at a certain hitch rail that had never been ridden before? How did Jesus know that? Oh, by the way, he knows everything. He knows where you tied your colt today. He knows where you parked your car today. He knows who you came with. He knows everything about you. That's our king. And he said, now I want you guys go over. And there is a specific cult. Don't just get anyone. Don't go down to the auction and buy one and save you money. Go get this one. He's never been ridden. He's tied in a certain place. And when you walk up to get the colt, normally the guy that owns the colt is going to say, hey, what you doing with my colt? And when he comes out to you and say, hey, where are you going my colt? Just look him right now and say, the Lord has need of him. Now I wonder what or who worked on that guy's heart to let that colt go. That would be almost like your brand new car. They're still smelling new. And some guy walks up to you and says, say, give me the keys. What for? Jesus needs them. You would say, there's a car parked next to mine, take it. Same. That colt was as, as significant and of much value as your car is today. And somebody said, well, if the Lord needs it, let's go ahead and take it. A specific cult tied to a specific place, a specific color for a specific reason. 
Verse 3. And a man say to you, why do this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. Wow. Quite a fellow, huh? And they went their way, found the colt tied to the door without in a place where two ways meet. They loosed him, a certain, and certain of them that stood there said to them, What do ye loose the colt? They said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon it. You read the rest of the story. He rode this colt into town, proclaiming himself to be king, and he came humbly, lowly, peacefully, did he not? Well, in Bible days, when a king went to a neighboring community or a neighboring kingdom, the steed that he rode was significant of why he was coming. The watchman sat around the walls to warn the city. A steed comes over the horizon with his army behind him. And the watchman on the wall looked intently, not at who he was, who was riding, but what he was riding. And when they first saw that the king was riding a white mule, the watchman on the wall would say, he's coming in peace. No worry, no fear, no war, no necessity of alarm. He's coming in peace. But if when the watchman saw the steed and he was on a white horse, prancing, powerful. And minute he saw that white horse, the watchman began to cry out, Alert! To arms! Everyone! To arms! He's coming to rage war! Significant on what he was riding, maybe? Well, is, there, is Jesus ever going to come back on a white horse? Would you turn to Revelation 19, please? Verse 11. Thank God he came on a white mule. Thank God he came as a savior. Thank God he came lowly and thank God he came humbly and thank God he came lovingly. But he is coming back another way. You either accept him today as your king of kings and savior. If you do not, he'll come back one day as your judge, as your jury. The Bible says in verse 11, if you got it there in Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open. 
And behold a what? White what? Not a mule anymore. And I saw a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and do what? Whoa. See, that's what the Jew thought he's coming the first time to do. Got that? But he didn't come the first time to rage war. He came to take care of the war that's going on in mine and your heart. The war was sin. That sin that does so easily beset us. He came riding on a donkey the first time to save us. If we don't get saved, he's coming next time on a white horse to judge us. Verse 12, you say, well, he'll not know what I've done. Really? And his eyes were the flame of fire. I trained my kids. I didn't have to say anything. I could just look at them. And I could watch them melt. Because if they didn't do what I said, they were going to melt. I. Of a flame of fire piercing to see through everything we've ever done. And on his head were many crowns. And had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was, called, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon wide horses. You say, I can't ride. Go get riding lessons. I'd hate for you to be one to fall off and throw a monkey wrench into this deal. Clothed in fine and white linen clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp two-edged sword. And with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he only has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. You like this name? <laughs> King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank God. He rode into town one week before he died on a white mule saying, Come unto me all labor and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. But one day he's coming back from heaven on a white horse and said, You should have listened to me the first time. You should have accepted me the first trip because you don't get another chance. What if he were to come back today? Would you be ready? Now, I thought that the cult would be significant. I don't know if you thought it was, but I thought that the cult would be significant. Notice the crowd. I wish I could talk about the crowd. You know, we got a different crowd here today. And you know what? Everybody here is not for the same reason. Did you know that? There are distinctive groups in the crowd here with Jesus. And uh, uh, we have the committed, the confused, the pretenders, the curious, and the opposition. And we have that here today. Uh, you can find those. The committed, you'll find in Matthew 21, where that the disciples did exactly what Jesus said. He said, go get a coat. They went and got a coat. They brought it back, just like he said. Went to where he said. Did what he said. You know, there's some folk here today just like that. You want to do what God wants you done? You want to do it just like God wants it done? You want to do 
do it just when God wants it done. But there are some folks here today that wants to do it when they want to do it. And I can hear you now. I want you to go over yonder and get me a white coat. Well, Lord, why do you want a white coat? No, I just want you to go get me a white coat. And I want you to go, well, Lord, I know where there's a better deal on white coats. Do you know anybody here today would have dealt with God that way? Lord, you want me to go down there and steal that guy's donkey? Lord, can we talk about this a little bit? There's, there are the committed that are there. There are the confused that are there. Some would say, well, I don't like people yelling at me, so preacher, I don't, I'm not going to listen to you. There's some folks there that's confused. There's some folks there that are pretenders. They, they just, you know, they just show up and would like to pretend that they're really not what they ought to be. And you know, that's probably keeping more people out of church than anything I know of. You're one thing here and you know the thing at the house. You know the thing where down at the, 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 place that you eat. You know, another thing down at the place that you work. You're just pretending at serving God. And you know what? There's a whole bunch of folk here like that. They were just pretending. The Bible says that some of them believed, but they really wouldn't commit because for fear that they'd get kicked out of the temple. You know anybody that's committed, confused, or just pretending? Hmm? And then there's that crowd Who's curious? I wonder what's going on down there at that big church down on the highway. I remember they're just a little old bitty insignificant crowd down yonder in the storefront. I wonder why they come in here because they're confused. It don't take them long to find out they're not as confused as they thought. And then there are those folks who just absolutely want to oppose everything that goes on. That's the crowd. Notice the cry. Hosanna. Save us. Politically, dear God, save us. I wonder if you're here today because you know you need a Savior or because there's opposition and trouble in your life. The cry, save us, dear God. Save us from the tyranny and the hardships of Rome. Dear God, if you would just give me a good job that I didn't have to work any High paying with great benefits. Lord, I'd tithe. You're lying through your teeth. You probably couldn't keep that kind of job. Too lazy. Save us, dear God. Oh, I'm here today because of something. Hey, if you're not here today because you love Jesus. I'm talking about Christian now. Members. The cry. Save us from our hurt. Save us from our sorrow. Did you know there's some folk there, according to the book of Luke chapter 19 and verse 39, some of them said, Lord, shut up the noise. Tell them just to shut up. We don't like noise at church. Verse 40 said, I say unto thee, If these folks were to hold their peace, 
the very rocks would immediately cry out in praise unto God. Wow. The cry. The cause. You find it in these verses down through there. Why did Jesus do what he did? Verse 14. As it is written. Everything Jesus ever did in the New Testament. Be careful now. Everything Jesus did from Matthew to the Revelation is to fulfill everything that was promised from Genesis to Malachi. Verse 14, as it is written, and he quotes Psalms 118. As it is written, then he quotes Zechariah 9 and 9. As it is written, Jesus was born in Bethlehem because it was written that he'd be born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born of a virgin because it is written in Isaiah 7 and 14. It said that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Everything Jesus did in the New Testament was to fulfill Everything that was promised in the Old Testament. The cause to do what God said. To finalize what God had promised. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, that is Jesus. And the Word was God, that is Jesus. And the Word was made manifest. That you and I might identify with his body. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. He walked among us that we might see him. He walked among us that we might identify with him. He thirsted that he might identify with our thirst. He hungered that he might identify with our hunger. He was persecuted and beaten that he might identify with our persecution. He was tempted and yet without sin so that he might sympathize and empathize with your temptation. And some of you say, well, preacher, I don't feel like coming to church and serving God. He went to the garden one night. And he bowed his head and prayed in such anguish that blood dropped sweat through the pores of his skin. He sweat blood. And he said, Father. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. He suffered that. Not wanting and not desiring to do. So that he might empathize with you. Who don't want to do what God wants you to do. You say, well, I don't have to. No, you don't have to. Not this time. Because he's riding a donkey. (laughs) But. 
He's going to trade in steeds. And he's going to get on a white horse. Then you'll change your tune. Because he's coming back, not as a savior, but as a judge. Could I have an amen? The crowd. The cry. The cause. If there's any good time to get saved, today would be a good time to get saved. And for you who have lost what you once had, Maybe you didn't have much to start with. Maybe all you had was an emotional high one time when you went to church. An emotional high is not going to get you to heaven. Only the Savior can get you to heaven. It was a triumphant entry. He proclaimed himself to be king. I close with this. You know what that same crowd was saying six days from now? The crowd with the palm leaves. The crowd that's crying out, blessed be the king. You know what that crowd cried six days from now? Crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Wow. Hate to be in that crowd, wouldn't you? Thank God for triumphant entry. I'm like a little boy, but I'd kind of like to be there when Jesus shows up. Would you like to be there when Jesus shows up? Amen.